All right, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts. It's a phenomenal book. It's what we base our lives upon, Acts 2.42. Uh, we made it through, actually, you got. we made it through more verses in the second service, so we're going to go back to verse 38. We're going to pick it up in verse 38. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for all you're doing in our midst. You have a plan. You have a purpose. And Father, we want to be a part of that plan. Your word says that you have ordained good works for us to walk in them. Lord, help us to look up and to see how you desire to use our spiritual gifts as well as our physical talents. That we might bless the next generation, that we might bless one another, that we might encourage and strengthen each other in these wicked days that we're living in. Father, I I pray that as your word goes forth this morning throughout this campus and every Bible-believing church on the face of this earth, I pray, Father, that people would get saved, that lackadaisical Christians would repent and get on fire for Jesus, and that the strong would become even stronger, strengthened through your Holy Spirit. We cannot fight this battle in the physical realm, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So, Father, lift our eyes that we might be in the spiritual battle for the souls of men and women, for children, for your glory. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Acts 13, therefore let it be known to you, 38, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. We find Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. John Mark has left the team and he's headed back to Jerusalem. And last week we, we left off with them spending their Sabbath day in the synagogue listening to the word of God. And after the word was shared, the rulers of the synagogue asked them if they had anything that they would like to share. And it's at this point that Paul starts to rehearse their Jewish history. But it's not just a history lesson. Rather, a lesson that would bring Jesus to the forefront of his teaching, showing them that Jesus was the long-awaited for Messiah. And guys, even to this day, Orthodox Jews in New York City in Israel, around the world, are still looking for the Messiah. The first Messiah. Jesus was not the Messiah. With that, Paul makes mention of something that would have caused him intense anger during the ministry of Jesus. I just read it. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. You see, there's not a person on this earth who doesn't desire to be forgiven when something goes wrong. There's nobody. To be right with others, it's within each one of us. And and as far as religious people go, they have an even deeper desire to be right with God. But how can that happen? I'm such a sinner. Maybe if I pray more. Maybe if I abuse my physical body. Maybe if I hand out religious material or fast more often or or give more money or you fill in the blank they know that they need their sins forgiven 
And that only God can truly forgive sins. And therein lies the problem. How can a religious person ever know if they've truly been forgiven? That might seem like a weird question. But I was raised in a religion where there were a bunch of do's and don'ts. And I never really knew if I was forgiven. I never really knew if God loved me. Because it was all do's and don'ts. And I would go to a confessional every so many months and to confess my sins to a man so that I could be forgiven and cleansed of my sins. But even going to the confessional, I lied in the confessional. I mean, who keeps track of their sins? But then even after he forgave me, I had to do penance. And as I got older, I I looked back and go, this really doesn't make sense. I'm forgiven, but I need to pray so many Our Fathers and so many Hail Marys to truly be forgiven. So I guess I wasn't forgiven. Because if I didn't pray them, then I wasn't forgiven. This is very confusing to most religious people. And they truly desire to be forgiven, guys. They they are seeking after forgiveness when they're seeking after God. They're seeking acceptance. They're seeking love. They're seeking forgiveness. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, drive home this point. Luke 5, if you're new or visiting, please grab a Bible. Please have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, they're, they're in the chairs in front of you. Just look down. Ask somebody to hand you one. We always put a slide up. It's very important that you know the Word of God. Luke 5.17, Now it happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Notice that. There were quite a few Pharisees and teachers. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd... They went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. This is most likely Peter's house, most likely in Capernaum because that was his headquarters. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, notice what he says here. Man, your sins are forgiven you. I'm sure the four guys, the other gospel tells us there was four men. I'm sure they're kind of looking down through the tiling and go, that's not why we brought them. That's not why we went all through this work. But you see, Jesus is going to drive home a point here to all those gathered. Notice in verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? What's easier to say? It's obvious. 
Who's going to take a step and go, yeah, rise up and walk? Huh? He's not rising up and walk. You're, you're a false prophet. So let's just say your sins are forgiven. That's way easier. But that you may know that the Son of Man, taken out of Daniel, reference to the Messiah, has cut power on earth to forgive sins. Who forgives sins? Who the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite, say? Only God. Only God can forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his house, glorifying God. What did Jesus say in Matthew? Let your light so shine before men, mankind, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Even to this day, God can heal if he so chooses. So we pray for healing. We believe that God could do that. We also know that God works through our illnesses, even as we sang this morning. Thank you for the wounds. Thank you for the scars. Not only your scars, but my scars. For he opens doors that we would never have been open to us when we go through things. Because now we have more compassion and empathy and comfort. And people see that in our eyes. They don't just hear, oh, you'll be okay. No, they, they see you and they hear the tone of your voice saying, I've been there. You're going to be okay. God loves you. It's no fun going through this. But God loves you. And that's what people need to hear. Because there's a bunch of nonsense going around under the Christian banner of Christianity that if you're not well, it's because of sin. You're in some type of sin. You will not find that in the scriptures. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But religious people live under that curse and it's even crept into the Christian church. So was Jesus just healing someone that day? I mean, that was that what he was doing? Or was he showing the religious elite that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who can truly forgive sins? Let's look at chapter 7 of Luke. Turn a page or two. Luke seven thirty six through 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Well, who else would be in this city? They're all sinners. But there's an important, there's an emphasis here. Obviously this woman most likely was a prostitute. Because the, the emphasis here is she was a sinner. Not just a woman. She was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and this was not uncommon. When you would have a dinner, um, there were others in the community that could come, not partake, but they were allowed to come within the area, stand against the wall, and listen to what and watch what was taking place. But they wouldn't partake so that they could learn, so that they could see what was going on in this situation. And so this woman comes in, but she just doesn't sit against the wall. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. 
and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed him with fragrant oil. Did this woman need a physical healing? Doesn't sound like it. As we read the rest of the story, it definitely doesn't sound like it. But she needed an inner healing. She knew she was a sinner. She didn't need to somebody point it out to her. Duh. I know I'm a sinner. I'm looking for forgiveness. Can you help me? Now, when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, so now we have the Pharisee's name, I have something to say to you. So Simon said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and one denarii is a day's wage, so over a year's worth of debt, and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Notice that. He forgave their debt. Physical analogy to teach a spiritual principle. Jesus using a physical analogy to teach a spiritual principle. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now we start to see forgiveness is connected to love. And it is. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to Simon, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Kind of hard to miss her. She's standing. She's a sinner. She goes to kneeling. She's weeping. And then she gets her face. Well, she had really long hair. She gets her face probably within a foot of Jesus' feet to wipe his feet. Standing, kneeling to being prostrate behind the Lord. Because they didn't have tables and chairs like we have. You know that famous picture of everybody behind a table? The 12 apostles. Jesus says, hey guys, come on, they want to take a picture. Everybody behind the table. No. They had a circular table and everyone would lean on an arm. They'd be basically almost laying down and their feet would be out to the back of them. That's the way they would eat. So she is now prostrate at his feet, worshiping him, worshiping him. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins. Here's the spiritual principle, physical analogy, spiritual principle. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Did Jesus know her and what she was? Yes. But do you see the compassion? He didn't drill her into the ground. He didn't give her a prayer list. He didn't say, go get clean and then come back and maybe, maybe I'll love you. Maybe I'll forgive you. And that's what religion does. 
Do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts. Maybe God will love you. Maybe God will forgive you. Blow yourself up. Maybe you'll get to heaven. Pretty drastic. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine hearing that from God? Jesus is God. Can you imagine being in that room and here God looks back at this prostitute and says, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Could have heard a pin drop at that dinner. But what happens? And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? We already know. The Pharisees already said, the scribes, the lawyers, no one can forgive sins but God. Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So how can a religious person ever know if they're truly been forgiven by God? I didn't know. I didn't know until I had a personal relationship with Jesus. Until I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I never truly knew if I was forgiven or not. I received Jesus at 17 and a half. By going to the Word of God and learning what Jesus did for every sinner. Because how can anyone know if they're truly been forgiven by God? Well, Ephesians 1, 7 says this. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the blood of the cross, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Grace. I also, we also have it in the New Living Translation. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. I'm going to read a few other verses. Romans 4, 5 says this, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And Colossians 2, and i got a lot more verses to go, so I'm reading over these quickly. Jot them down. Colossians 2, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So back in verse 38 here of chapter 13, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, who? Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Paul points to Jesus, the one who could and would forgive anyone of their sins. And again, why is that so important? Again, for you and me, we might not think much about it. Because the law was hanging over every Jewish head. And I have been, I have been in a kibbutz in Israel. I had the privilege of going to the seventh day of a wedding feast of an Orthodox Jewish family. And it's just like fiddle around the roof. I went to the reception. And at the reception, they handed me paper plates. 
I couldn't have the fine china because I was a Gentile. I got a paper plate and a plastic fork. All the men danced together. All the women danced together. No commingling. We actually went to the house of the bride and groom, which I thought was really weird, but this is their culture. And everyone was going through the whole house, opening up the cupboard doors, looking at everything, opening up the dresser. Wow, look at this. And the bed, this was mind-boggling to me, but the bed was two, was one, looked like one bed, but it was two beds. And underneath the beds, you could store things. I mean, it was really clever. Why two beds? Because as a woman is going through her period, according to the word of God, she's unclean. So if the male sleeps in the same bed, he would be unclean. So they're two separate beds, even though they're right next to each other. The law, the law, the law. I want to be forgiven, but how can I be forgiven? How do I know if I can ever be forgiven? Well, verse 39 And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. People today, guys, are trying to be justified. Paul is talking to the Jewish audience who knows the law here and the word justified. It means to render just or innocent, to declare or pronounce one to be righteous. Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. And you ladies with your ladies Bible study, you're hearing this over and over and over again, almost every other Tuesday as you come. It's almost, Claudia, as I were talking about this uh, just last night, it's almost repetitious. Paul, how many times are you going to tell us? Why do we keep, why do we need to keep hearing it? Guys, even after I received Christ at 17 and a half, it took several years to debug the program. To go back and debug the program. Our mind is a program. Our, our, our mind is a computer hard drive. And I had to debug the program. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I don't have to go to a priest. I'm forgiven. I'm not only forgiven of my past sins. I'm, I'm forgiven of my current sins. I'm forgiven of sins I'm going to commit in 2020. And this was 1978. Wrap your mind around that. Very few people actually think about that. Not that so we can go out and sin. Hey, I'm forgiven. You No. You don't understand grace. You don't understand the sacrifice. It's not so that we can go out and go crazy. It's so that we can fall on our face and say, thank you, God, for forgiving me of all my sins. Because I could never have been justified otherwise. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Verse 40 and 41. Behold, you despisers, marvel and, and, marvel and perish. For I work, a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, the one were to declare it to you. Paul gives an audience a very strict and biblical warning by referencing Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you'd like to pronounce it. Habakkuk 1.5. He was a prophet that was warning his fellow Jews to repent of idol worship just prior to Judah's destruction by Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember what was taking place then? Their hearts were hard. They had the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord. The northern tribes, they got wiped out. We've got the temple. We can still do idol worship, and nothing will happen to us, Because we've got the temple. Are we living in a similar country? 
Are we living in a similar culture? We live in America. No harm can come to us. The Japs got close, but no harm will come to us. We have Hollywood. We have professors. We're going to have free health care, free college tuition, free rides on the subway. We have the Constitution. No harm can come to us. May our hearts, guys, here's the point. May our hearts never become cold or callous to the things of God. Do we deserve to be judged in America? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. When you have a politician running to be president who says it's okay to kill a baby after it's born, in a homosexual marriage, who says Christians don't know who they're voting for, Hello, you better repent because God's going to hold you accountable. We deserve judgment. And so for you and I as believers, we have to intercede because judgment is coming. Verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Here is the beginning of the Gentiles finally hearing about the word of God, 14, 15, 16 years after the resurrection of Christ. They were eager to know God in his ways. They wanted the same forgiveness of sins, just like the Jewish people. And you know what's really wonderful? They didn't have the law to compete with. You know, it's easier to bring a heathen, an atheist to Christ than it is a religious person. Because we always fall back on our religion. No, I know God. I'm not that bad. I'm a Mormon. I'm a Jehovah Witness. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Catholic. I'm okay. I don't need your Jesus. Hello? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A personal relationship. John 14, 6. 43. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, a proselyte would be a Gentile who has become a Jew, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the law of God. Are you awake? Anybody awake in here? Does it say the law of God? Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. But what is he saying now? 14, 15, 16 years after his conversion? Grace. Grace. You need grace. Continue in the grace and not the law. You see, Paul was not encouraging them to forsake the law, but stop trying to fulfill the law, which was impossible to do. Just seek after Jesus and his ways. And religion hasn't changed over the centuries. It takes on different names, different locations, different theologies, but the same problem. Fulfill the laws of our church and you will be saved. Is this happening even under the banner of Christianity? Absolutely. There are some churches under the Christian banner, banner, if you you are not water baptized into their church, you are not saved. To this day, 2020 in America. So don't tell me that we don't try to fulfill laws. Even under the banner of Christians, there are Christians trying to fulfill laws to make God happy or to be accepted or to know that they're ultimately forgiven Instead of us going, I'm forgiven. 
I'm forgiven and I'm just going to live in grace. You feel free to have your law. I'm getting out of here. You see, when you live in the grace of God, your heart supernaturally fulfills the law of God without a person even realizing it. It's amazing how I didn't have to memorize the Ten Commandments to stop swearing. As I was reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit convicted me, stop swearing. You don't need that foul language in your life. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. You're right, I don't. The verse is in Colossians. Get rid of foul language. See, as the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart because you have a personal relationship, all of a sudden you start to see yourself changing. Not because of all the do's and don'ts, but because of a love relationship. How about 44 through 48? On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. I love that. Not to hear Paul and Barnabas, although it would have been wonderful to hear them, but the Holy Spirit is emphasizing what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were sharing the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. This always happens with religion. They get upset about it. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. We went over this last week. They had the word of God. That's why they went to them first. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Notice that. God does not send anyone to hell. We choose to go there ourselves. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life, believed. Love this. I'm going to read you some verses. Jim's going to throw up a slide. I encourage you to take a picture of this because uh, I have uh, shared with my Messianic uh, sister uh, in the Lord because she is she was born and raised in an Orthodox family. And this is how I have these connections and we, we were with her, I don't know, three months ago or, or six months ago, whenever it was. And, and I mentioned, have you ever done a, a study? Because she was saying, how can I talk to my brother about this? You're, you're a Gentile. How can I talk to him about this? I'm surprised he even let me in the house. But they did because it was, it was his sister. So she was there, so I got in. But um, I said, well, have you done a study on stranger? Not stranger, danger. Stranger. She goes, no. I go, look up the word stranger or strangers. Have your brother, the Orthodox Jew, who thinks he's a rabbi, have your brother look up the word stranger or strangers. And I'd love to sit down and have a talk with him. So I'm going to read a bunch of verses. These are the verses listed. I encourage you just to listen and to have this list. Because you never know when you might have to deal with someone who has this mentality. And when a stranger dwells with, dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let, let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells with you. Now, how would the stranger know about the law unless they're being taught about the law? 
You shall neither, Exodus twenty two twenty one. you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Don't oppress a Gentile. Don't give him a paper plate. Give him the best china. Exodus twenty three twelve. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Leviticus nineteen thirty three. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, and you you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Are you hearing how a Jew should treat a Gentile? And what the Jews should have been doing and should be doing to this very day to the Gentiles? Teaching them the word of God? Leviticus 18.26, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your nation or any stranger who dwells with you. Again, how does a stranger know not to do idol worship unless they're taught about idol worship? Leviticus 19.33, And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. I think I already read that. Deuteronomy twenty four seventeen. You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take the widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. And then I'm going to go back to Leviticus, and we have a slide here. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Again, simple question. How does a stranger know the law? If they're not taught the law. Well, for you and I, make it practical today. How can an unbeliever know God unless they see God? We have God within us. And as they see us loving them, not condoning sin, not going down that road, not compromising, but at least loving them and speaking the truth in love, how are they going to come to know God? If we treat them as a heathen, just like everybody else is treating them, how are they going to come to know God? So we can look at the Jews and blast them, or we can just say, God, use them, and God, use me. Use me. Because I have prejudices as well. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord began, was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews, and when you see this, this is the religious elite. This is most likely not, not the common Jew, but these are the religious elites who are trying to save people from getting saved. (laughs) Stay under the law, stay under the law. We're taught if we left Roman Catholicism, and I'm not mocking, ridiculing, we gotta be mature enough to have a conversation. I was taught if I left Roman Catholicism, I was going to hell. Period. And if you study the cults or churches that have cultish practices, there are Christian churches that are not necessarily cults, but they have cultish practices. And one of those cultish practices is, if you ever leave Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek... You're going to hell. Give me a break. Go. Be blessed. 
Find the church that you want to get plugged into and get plugged in. It's a part of the body of Christ. But don't dismiss this stuff, guys, because it's real. People come and tell me. I I didn't think I could leave my past church because they were teaching me if I left my church, that was my salvation. And I, I scratched my head and I go, wait a minute. They're a Christian church? Yeah, they're a Christian church. They've been around for years. They read the Bible? Yeah, they read the Bible. Debug the program. Debug the program. You're not going to hell. God loves you. That's religion. That's control. They're trying to control your walk. Pray for them that they learn the truth of the word of God. Guys, this is real in 2020. This is happening. Raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. Verse 51. But they shook the, off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. You see, as the word of grace was being spread, the religious people became more upset. And Paul and Barnabas didn't take it personal. And this is for you and me even to this day. If somebody rejects you as a Christian, don't take it personal. Just love them. Love them at a distance. Pray for them. They did just what a prophet would do from the Old Testament, though. As they left, they shook the dust off of their feet as they were leaving the city as a sign, as a sign of judgment and also innocence. Of judgment and also innocence. It was, we warned you, your guilt be upon your own selves. You can never blame us. And you'll hear me say this often on a Sunday morning. As I referenced earlier, God sends no one to hell. If you're here and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, God loves you and wants a personal relationship with you. If you don't want that relationship, if you stiff-arm God, don't ever blame God. Because God's reaching out to you this morning. And he's giving you another opportunity. If you reject it, you're saying, I'll go to hell on my own, thank you. That's what they were doing. They shook the dust off their feet. You'll never be able to blame us. We came to you with the word of God. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy. Notice this, the disciples, the non-disciples were angry, but the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love the way the Holy Spirit, see the Holy Spirit's inspiring the word of God, how the Holy Spirit finishes up this time in Antioch, filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't get any better than that, guys. Don't get hung up on the politics, but do what Romans says to do. Romans 13, pray for those who God ordains to put in authority. That's what we're taught to do as Christians. And when we do that, I say, may we see the hand of the Lord working in our lives this week. Whatever it is that you do, wherever you go, your neighborhoods, your family members, those six, eight, ten people, that sphere of influence that you have an influence on, they don't need an argument about Republican and Democrat. They need Jesus. May we be filled with the joy of the Lord. May we be Christians not walking around like we've been sucking on lemons. But that there's something good going to come out of this if we really believe Romans 8.28. And may we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, guys. We can't go out there and wrestle against flesh and blood. We have to ask for more of the Holy Spirit Because we're walking out into a battlefield. You're walking out into your mission field. And there's a real battle out there. People are afraid. This this could be a pandemic, guys. This is very, very serious. If it comes to America, uh, two, two weeks ago or one week ago, 800 million Chinese were locked down. 
They could not leave their homes. Pictures, cities, streets, totally desolate. Everyone locked down. And when China says you're locked down, you don't dare go out because you might get a bullet in your head. You listen in China. Guys, this is very, very serious. If it comes to America, we have no cure. It could have, the same thing could happen here. They could lock a city down, whatever city that might be. So, guys, this is really serious. People are going to be scared. Who has the answer? We have an answer. Did a memorial service yesterday. Statistically, 10 out of 10 people still die. It's amazing. We're not getting out of here alive. But we can get out of here with Jesus and we can take somebody with us this week. Father, we thank you and praise you. These things are happening to wake a world up. The birth pains tell the mother, the baby's coming. The baby's coming. And Father, these birth pains are telling us as believers, even though the world may mock us and and even un, under the banner of Christianity, there's some there's some other denominations that mock Christians that believe in the rapture. There's many denominations that, that don't believe in the millennial reign of Christ. Father, we need to just be in your word from Genesis to Revelation. And if it's in it, believe it and proclaim it and leave the rest up to your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and praise you that you've opened our eyes to the truth. And we are not the lone Christians in our area. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in our area here who love Jesus and are teaching the word of God. And Lord, we pray for them, increase them, strengthen them. We just want to see people saved, Father, before a major catastrophe does come into our area. Anything is possible. Anything. Yellowstone. San Andreas Fault, an unseen virus. Anything could happen. So, Father, help us to be ready this week to share the gospel with those who are scared of politics or those who are afraid of dying from a virus. Help us to be ready to share the good news that God loves them and Jesus died for them that they might accept Jesus as their Savior this week. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Have a blessed week. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Cheryl mentioned she's going to be out at the plugged-in table for the children. Uh, if you'd like to help out with junior high, either Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, please write your name and phone number down. And let me know. And let's reach people for Jesus, guys. Let's reach people for Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Amen. We can choose to praise God no matter what. Even if things do get really bad, which we know they're going to at some point, we praise the Lord. Joy of the Lord is our strength. I choose to praise. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise.